Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This is Kirk from Fort Collins. Maybe you remember me. And honestly, I am so close to unsubscribing. And I have a daughter, so don't pull any of that you're a sexist, woke, cancer culture crap. How, would a sexist have a daughter? Put it that way. And the next wife, by the way. The bottom line, okay, the WNBA is lame. Facts. Nobody dunks. They don't have star guys playing for them. And look at the TV ratings. If, the, if it's so great, why aren't the TV ratings higher like they are for my Broncos? Think about that. Um, okay, just please stop. Last thing I want to do is unsubscribe. I know that will be devastating for you. Okay, I'd say more, but I gotta go meet my daughter. It's a supervised visit once a month. Not a big deal. Three hours. Go Nuggets! Oh, Kirk. Every man Kirk. I'm Kate Fagan. I'm Jessica Smetana. Kirk is one element of this show, off the looking glass. I feel like at this point, just since there's a lot of people on Twitter or on social who seem to be walking the line believing Kirk might be real. He's not? He's a creation. Oh, okay. But he's, in a, he's like, he's a... He's a we're he's all God's creation. What is that so. word? <laughs> we all, we're all creations. But Kirk is from the mind of Adam McKay and voiced by Neil Flynn. And we wanted to share with you another of the elements we've been doing, which you may have noticed in the first two episodes, a little something that we're calling moment of epiphany. What is that? What is a moment of epiphany? Thank you, Jess. Thank you for asking. The moment of epiphany is anecdotes from female players about the moment in time when they first realized that the game that they played is treated differently when women play it than when men play it. So you heard Sue Birds in the first episode and then Megan Rapinoe's in the second. So do you have a moment of epiphany? <laughs> I like the way you're teeing me up. What are you talking about? <laughs> what? How dare me? you? Yeah. I do have a moment of epiphany. And I feel very lucky because it actually happened when I was 20 years old, which... I think it's pretty late in life to actually have that realization. But, yeah, that actually does feel late. Like, that. good for you, man. That's great. This is like when you didn't know where No Crying in Baseball came from. It's like, well, the only answer is that I was living under a rock. I must have been <laughs> living under a rock for 20 years to not know this about sports. And the only answer I can point to is that it was pre-social media. And pre-message boards. So oh my, I, I wouldn't have had... imagine what that... Your high school must have been so much better. I mean, okay, maybe not. Maybe I shouldn't assume that. But like you didn't have Instagram in high school. No. <sighs> there, there was no forum for people to express their feelings about women's sports. You had to be around me and tell me that women's basketball is lame and doesn't matter and nobody cares about it. And like, who who's actually doing that? So my moment of epiphany was when I was at training table at not UConn on the Boulder campus and a couple of my teammates and I were eating dinner with some football players, University of Colorado football team, who at the time was top 10 in the country. And 
They had to leave dinner early. We didn't know why they had a late practice, so one of us said to them, where are you going? And the guy who played tight end at the time very cavalierly turned around and was like, well, we have to go earn your Nike. What? And it was the first indication that anyone had ever made that we were a product of their hard work. Now this is a very common belief system that most American sports fans have is that pretty much every college sport other than men's basketball and football is just a direct descendant of the blood, sweat, and tears of football players and basketball players. But this was eye-opening to me that they felt this way. Sorry, yes. Uh, no, uh, what year did you graduate? I'm looking up the Colorado football roster. Oh, wait, we're going to name this guy now. We're going to name him. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but I can't believe someone said this to you. Yeah, it, it okay, was, the, yeah. This is, that is so, like, rude. And after you just shared a meal together, it, like... This kind of came out of the blue because I really God. thought... And it really... I, you can see to this day, since I'm sharing this story now, I've never forgotten it. How could you forget that? And I've ne- I mean, it's horrible. And every single time, it didn't, uh, once we started playing, I wasn't thinking about it. But every time I saw the, that, that Nike swoosh and I put it on my body, I thought to myself, oh, I'm wearing this because the football team is what people really want. And I'm just a beneficiary I'm a handout and this thought would cross my mind and I would have to like just move past it and that's what I would do I would move past it but that was my moment of epiphany when I realized that people thought and felt very different things about when women played sports than when men played Jess should we save your should we save your moment of epiphany yeah I mean I was never as like serious or successful an athlete as you or like Sue Bird or Megan Rapino. so I feel like mine might might fall flat so I want some time to like work on it like I'm gonna I'm gonna call some former soccer teammates and just like corroborate our stories and make sure that like you know m- what I'm thinking in my head right now is 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 real and, and is my moment of epiphany I'm really just still stuck on the part where you grouped me with Megan Rapinoe and Sue Bird in terms of athletic achievement. You um, played D1 basketball. Yeah. Like, that's hard to do. I mean, I Listen. would have never been able to play D1 soccer. I, I was not even close to being good enough for that. I'm just pleased that the WNBA champion, Olympic gold medalist, and World Cup champions are in the same sentence as I am. So thank you, Jess. I mean, you're a published author. You work, worked. Uh, you work in sports media. Like, you have a really good podcast with over 2,000 reviews. By the way, if you're listening to this, leave a review for the podcast. We're up to 2,600. Should we tell the people what the show is going to be about today? Yeah, I think that's a good idea. On today's show, perhaps the best player in the world, Brianna Stewart, she talks about why she left Nike and joined Puma. We're also going to have another edition of Extra Extra, and Kate is going to tell me about the Air Swoops. Plus, a few surprises along the way, as always. I love surprises, as long as they're not Kirk from Fort Collins. Yeah, or tight end from Colorado. I'm I'm on the I'm on the roster page right now. I'm gonna find this man. Compile see what a he's list. up to. <laughs> but seriously, what year was it? Hey, it's Shamika Holesclaw. Man, I've had some cool coaches, but I'm going to have to go with Coach Summit because, you know, she, she I wish she coached over 30-something years, but the kids change, and I feel like that's what great coaches do, adapt to a different generations. So one day, Coach Summit, I had saw her, right, earlier, and I, I was in the office, and she's like, yeah, she had this photo shoot or something. So she had this suit, and I was like, man, that's GQ, Coach. 
that looks so good. I'm like, oh, that's sharp, right? So she was around a team like a couple days later and we were doing like taking some pictures for something and she looked nice again and she goes, yes, QT, QT. I'm looking QT today. Oh my God. Like we were laughing. Oh, coach, it's GQ, but she just was feeling herself. <laughs> QT. <laughs> she was always trying to learn different lingo and things like that. Much respect to her for that, but she has missed, definitely missed. Where to even start with today's guest? It would be pointless to list her accolades, gold medals, WNBA and NCAA titles, MVPs, etc. Let's just say the fact that she was one of a handful of athletes named 2020 SI Sports Person of the Year barely cracks the achievement list. Her game is generational. And here we talk to her about leaving the behemoth that is Nike for the belief and investment offered at Puma where she will become the first W athlete in a decade with a signature shoe. All right, let's do it. Let's bring her on, Brianna Stewart. So this past year, because you had been with Nike for so long, and I mean, I'm assuming your you know contract is up before you go to Puma. Like, what were you going into the the Nike negotiation or this decision? Like, what was top of mind for you about what you wanted at this moment in your career and where the W was? I mean, I think going into negotiations with Nike, the big thing was I wanted to be you know valued and appreciated, and I think that as female athletes, we find ourselves in this world where we're just okay with what we're given and I wasn't okay with that and that needed to change and it needed to change to kind of change the landscape of how WNBA players now all athletes are looked at through the company's eyes and and through endorsements eyes and it was a little bit of a battle that's for sure but you know appreciate the I guess the time that I had with Nike but excited to be a part of Puma and excited to kind of represent Puma as they want to bring female athletes and and especially women's basketball forward. And they're not afraid to try. And I think that's the big thing is, is not being afraid to try something new. How much of a role did the last two years of the W, the bubble season and how you all stood up, came together and the energy that started to build around the W leading into this next season where, you know, ratings are up. People are starting to talk more about the W than ever before. Did that fuel you going into this decision about making sure you, you know, I'm using my own words here, but like put your foot down about what you wanted out of a partnership. How much of a role did that play? To be able to to kind of have more of a partnership than a, you know, athlete endorsement kind of situation relationship is, you know, what you're seeing a lot with a lot of companies now, whether it's like for example, for me, Therabody, Aura Ring, it's a partnership. And these companies are willing to, to kind of listen and cater to the athletes. And, you know, you kind of touched on it. But after being in the bubble, really standing up for what we obviously believe in, but, but more so what we deserve. And I think that my big thing was me going to Puma is going to continue to, 
I guess, raise the standard for other athletes, for other up and coming athletes where they don't settle because it's just Nike or just another company. No, you're going to get everything you deserve. Was that a hard decision for you? It wasn't. It wasn't. What Puma offered and the way that they were just kind of rolling out the red carpet, it was it was jaw dropping just because it was like, wow, this is exactly what should be happening for multiple female athletes. And it's it's unfortunately unfortunately not. But as someone who's worn Nike for pretty much entire career thus far, I was like, wow, now I'm going to wear Puma, Puma everything. And it's like, you don't even realize I was like, I don't even have Puma socks. I don't have Puma sports bra. Like, I need everything new. What was their pitch like? Like, what when you say roll out the red carpet, will you take us behind the scenes on, like, what, what that was like? So everything was done over Zoom. I was in Russia, and they had, like, all their, I'm going to say big dogs, all their big dogs were on that Zoom. Like, everybody. Just the excitement, how they're hoping that we could work together. And then the fact that they were just like, we've been waiting for this moment to kind of take the next step in women's basketball and bring signature apparel and signature sneakers into play we just needed the right person and you're that right person so like i said before they weren't afraid to fail they were like we're not afraid to fail but we want to make sure that if we're going to try we're going to do it the right way and they do have a legacy of taking risks meaning that they were serena williams first apparel company back before she got scooped away by nike and they did so at the time risky right like cat suits and and leotards and like really dynamic fashion decisions that they put Serena in to go on the court. And I'm not suggesting like that's your play with Puma, but they definitely have a history of being like, we're willing to do things differently. What has the process been like with them? You've never created a signature shoe before. So what- A signature shoe in a pandemic either, which is a whole nother ball. <laughs> yeah. So what is that like? Like, what is that process like? So the process is obviously we have creative designers, creative directors kind of, you know, helping figure out exactly which direction we're going to go. But really the thing about the signature shoe is it's my shoe and it's about me and figuring out, you know, what I'm comfortable in and what I like playing in and what's going to be best for my Achilles and all these things. And then just figuring out the stories going forward. It's been particularly hard because most of the factories have been shut down. So not being able to kind of see actual samples of products or just only looking at, at pictures and stuff like that. I mean, super cool. The fact yeah. that we're able to talk about, you know, the first shoe and then potentially the second shoe. So a lot of, a lot of exciting things coming. Can we expect some Easter eggs in the shoe? Brianna Stewart nods in the shoe. I mean, I know you can't give any away, but like there'll be a lot of personal touches. Every detail about the shoe has like there's a reason for every detail. So you'll be able to kind of make a connection to, you know, whether it's Syracuse or Yukon or WBA or adversity that I've gone through. You'll be able to make that connection. Is it called the Stewie or is it like TBD? The shoe that's going to come out is going to be the Stewie one. Okay. You were born early 90s. So I'm assuming you never wore a pair of swoops or did you ever wear a pair of swoops? No. So what was your relationship like growing up with the WNBA and women's gear and having posters of women's players in your room? I mean, it was a difficult time for that because you were playing in like the early 2000s when you would like first be collecting those things. So when I was growing up, obviously like a basketball generation before, 
I was a huge Knicks fan in the mid-90s, before the WNBA started, and I would watch all 82 Knicks games, and I was obsessed with John Starks. And although he was not the best role model to model my game after, that is who I modeled my game after. And I remember flipping through an ESPN the magazine or a Sports Illustrated in like 95 and seeing a Cheryl Swoops ad and being like, this is the first time I've ever seen this. And so my question is, when you were growing up, whose game were you modeling? Whose shoes were you wearing? And whose posters did you have up? When I was growing up, so I remember playing basketball in the the Nike shocks, the basketball shoes. Yeah. Or like the Harachis, the ones with the holes. You could literally like pull it. Obviously, I'm from Syracuse, big Syracuse fan. Being at the parade when Melo won the national championship, even though they took it away, I don't know, they still won it. And then I had like a, a Syracuse poster. I had a Hakeem Wark picture. And I was a huge, I was also a huge UNC fan at the time. So I had a lot going on, but those were like my, my teams. Did it make sense to you at the time? Or do you remember thinking, oh, I should have like a Liberty poster or like a, a Weatherspoon poster? Like, did these thoughts even cross your mind? Unfortunately, no. I don't know. I remember watching North Carolina. I remember when Rashonda McCants was at North Carolina, but it's like all the things that you know, you hope that young basketball players have, young girls have as their female role models. You know, I don't think we had that or we didn't see that as often. Yeah, I mean, I don't even remember considering having a WNBA poster like that, even because I would have been 16 when Rebecca Lobo went to the Liberty and the, the league was starting. And so you would have had Lisa Leslie in LA and it didn't even occur to me to put them up on my wall. I don't even know where I could have gotten a Liberty poster or like a Chicago sky poster. Whereas I feel like Derek Rose Bulls posters were in like every magazine I opened for five years when I was in high school. Like, I, I don't know if that much has changed, but it does feel like at least now you can like seek those things out on the internet. And I don't even know where I would have come across that when I was younger. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's a good point because I feel like if I'd wanted a Liberty poster, I might've had to commission one myself. <laughs> Okay, we are down our little rabbit hole off of our conversation with Stewie because this is something, Jess, this idea of signature sneakers and the way that apparel brands market female athletes, it's something I've been really interested in as someone who grew up in the late 90s when I thought Nike, Nike being the most popular basketball outfitter that was when they were most dedicated to creating shoes and gear for women like around the launch of the WNBA and then we saw after the swoops was discontinued in 2004 that there wasn't a ton of marketing dollars put behind the Cheryl Swoops shoes and then it was also chalked up as quote-unquote not selling as well as the men's version of those sneakers. And I'm not claiming that they would have sold as well, but that they could have sold better if they were made in both men's and women's sizes and if there was actually investment made in marketing. So I, I kept coming across this expression while I was reading about like women's apparel called shrink it and pink it. Have you heard mm -hmm. of this? 
Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The gist is that like you take a men's item, you make it smaller, make it pink, and then women will buy it. Yes. Like I, I grew up a big NFL fan. And so, so much of the sports apparel marketed towards me was pink or had like rhinestones on it or, you know, was just a tighter fitting version of something. And I never wanted that. I always just wanted like the regular version, like just the the black version, not the pink version. And growing up, I always thought like, wow, like I'm I'm such a like little boy. Like I just always want the men's version of everything. It's like, no, because I just wanted the version that the players wore. It's like, okay, there's nothing wrong with wearing a pink NFL jersey or wearing you know, a pink anything. I love the color pink. Like half my furniture is pink. But when you're, you know, when you're like a a young athlete, you want to look like the players or you want to like dress like the players did. So then your only options were like, you know, clothes that didn't fit or, you know, a version of something that wasn't made for you. Yeah, you didn't want the women's gear. You just wanted the gear. Right. And you didn't want it to feel ornamental which I feel like a lot of apparel for women begins to feel less functional and more ornamental and more for looking good or whatever that means rather than actual either functionality or fandom. All of the labor and the intellectual rigor was put into the product to look a certain way. And then they took that product that they put all that time into and they just shrink it and pink it which doesn't take a lot of time. As someone who's vegetarian, and I'm shocked this is the first time I'm mentioning it on this podcast, I can tell when I go to a restaurant and I'm like, hey, can you do that pasta without this? It doesn't taste the same because it was meant to have pork in it, which adds flavor. But when you go to a vegetarian restaurant and they've actually made the dishes to be that way, you're like, oh, this is what it tastes like. They've actually thought about the flavor of it. And like that is the connection I'm making to women's sports apparel. You're always getting the, we didn't mean for it to be this way, but yeah, slap that on it and sell it over there. Well, I want to hear more about this Cheryl Swoops signature shoe. Can you can you give me a Funny little bit you more information? <laughs> How kind of you to ask, Jess. I have prepared for you a story about the Air Swoops, which was Nike's first signature shoe for women, which they launched in the late 90s, which happened to be when I was playing hoops. So I put this together to kind of give you the background on the Air Swoops, and we can chat about that coming out of it. Hey, Young Jordan. You're Shell Swoops. Forward. Houston Comments. How are you doing? You got some pretty good moves. You're fast anyway. Thanks. I guess. You know, your jump shot could be better. You're releasing the ball too soon. It's fixable. With work. Girl, where is your mama? Mama can't help you a jump shot. Does he have a jumper? He's only 11 months old. I had a jump shot at his age. I had a good jumper. Growing up, my dad used to buy me one pair of basketball sneakers each year. I can still remember the first day I'd get a pair waking up in the middle of the night and glancing over to the closet and seeing the new kicks there, gleaming. And I'd grin before rolling over and going back to sleep. I was always getting boys' shoes or men's, but I can't remember registering this fact because men's was just the default. A pair of Air Jordans one year, Tim Hardaway zooms the next, the Air Penny. I'd have their posters too, and I'd tear out their Nike ads and scotch tape them to my wall. And I didn't think of them as men's basketball players. They were just basketball players. 
and the only ones I ever saw in magazines or on TV. Which is why I can remember clearly the first Nike ad that changed that equation. It was 1994, and I was 13, and I was flipping through Sports Illustrated, and oh my God, there was a woman. She was slicing to the hoop, and we were seeing her from above, as if a camera had been mounted to the top of the backboard. And the text alongside her read, this ball, this hoop, this game is mine. Cheryl swoops. I carefully ripped out the magazine ad and taped it to one of the inside panes of my bedroom window. A day later, my mom made me relocate the ad to the wall, explaining to me that Cheryl was blocking out the sun. I obeyed reluctantly. And then a few months later, a sneaker, her sneaker, the air swoops. Here's a snippet from the New York Times, which covered the announcement press conference on March 29, 1995. In a case of footwear gender equity, Nike Inc. said yesterday that it would introduce the Air Swoops basketball shoe, named for Cheryl Swoops, who led Texas Tech to the National Collegiate Athletic Association Women's Basketball Championship in 1993. Nike last named the shoe for an athlete 10 years ago, when it christened the Air Jordan line of men's basketball sneakers after Michael Jordan. Air Swoops are set to arrive in stores around October 1st, backed by an ad campaign that Nike called Substantial, though the company would not disclose how much it was spending. Liz Dolan, vice president of marketing at Nike, said the Air Swoops line was a part of the company's commitment to women's sports, which includes a new advertising campaign featuring the world champion United States women's soccer team. The Air Swoops line capitalizes on growing interest in women's basketball. One in three high school girls play sports, Ms. Dolan said. But most women basketball players have bought men's shoes believing they're better. It's not true. But people have that feeling, so we need to make a women's basketball shoe to make sure they're viewed as equal. Before we get to the kicks and the creation of them, let's explain why. Why the moment was right for the first ever women's signature shoe at Nike. Although Title IX had passed more than 20 years prior, Swoops was part of the first generation of young athletes standing on the foundation built during those initial two decades. From this elevated platform, and for the very first time, female players could finally find a slice of spotlight. Plus, the creation of the WNBA was just around the corner. Nike saw opportunity. The sports apparel giant tapped senior designer Marnie Gerber to work with Swoops on her first sneaker. Here's Gerber, who spent 28 years designing for Nike and who designed the first two iterations of the Air Swoops. Yeah, I remember having lots of meetings about, you know, even at the beginning, it's whether we were going to call it the Air Swoops because, you know, when someone's name is on a shoe, they get percentages. So it's a big business decision and it was exciting. It was definitely special. I mean, I was excited to work with an athlete, period, because it, I always say that when you work with an athlete, it, the shoe designs itself. Gerber first watched Swoops play on video. Then she flew down to Lubbock, Texas, home of Texas Tech, to meet and talk to Cheryl, to get a sense of who she was and what she wanted out of a sneaker. At the time, and to this day, really, most women wore sneakers designed and built for men. And those sneakers tended to be overbuilt and bulky because that was the style that fit men better. 
Kobe was actually one of the first male athletes to covet a lighter, underbuilt sneaker. After meeting Swoops, Gerber wanted to design a sneaker that would reflect the star's personality, sweet and soft-spoken off the court, but vicious and tenacious on it. That strap that was on the middle, I think, was something that she had requested for just some lockdown feel because she's quick and just being able to be super secure in your shoe, giving her great traction. There was a basic herringbone pattern on the bottom. And then I think just because of the way she wore her hair, I can't remember on the day what hairstyle she was wearing that day at the hairdresser, but she did sometimes wear it in cornrows. And so I, one of the materials that we picked had a linear pattern based on that. So just little details from knowing her better came out in the shoe. And then I've told this story a lot, but the double S on the bottom kind of shows that kind of Cheryl swoops in your face when she's up in the air, flying through the air, dunking. And that was kind of a fun detail on the bottom. And then even the tongue top logo, Katie Tish designed that. She was a graphic designer at the time. That was kind of a little bit more feminine. It was trying to do that, you know, feminine and tough both on the shoe. Once the team at Nike had created a prototype incorporating all of Swoop's ideas, Gerber flew with the sneaker to Colorado Springs, where the future Olympian was training with Team USA in advance of the pivotal 1996 Atlanta Olympics. Gerber remembers that Swoop's loved the prototype, and the star would go on to wear the eponymous kicks while winning gold, and then, a year later, while helping launch the WNBA. It was being received very well. The biggest problem with it, with the numbers, you know, Nike's a business, so it's always about, you know, how many you're selling, was that we only made it in women's sizes. So a lot of men wanted to buy it, but they couldn't. You know, men's shoes all get the glory of women being able to buy it because they can fit in their shoes. <laughs> but the women's shoes didn't get the numbers from the men because they couldn't fit into them. Let's hear now from WNBA legend Simone Augustus, who was a teenager when the air swoops came out. She spoke to NPR's Only a Game. By the time her shoe came out, I was like too big to shop in the ladies' footlocker and I couldn't get them. I assumed that they would make shoes for the the basketball player. Like, you know, we're obviously taller, bigger uh, than the average woman. I was super bummed out because it was like the first woman's shoe to come out and I wasn't able to get it. And I'm a hooper and I love Cheryl Swoops. And so the age old question, did the air swoops not sell as much as the men because they weren't invested in and marketed? Or were they not invested in and marketed because they weren't selling well? In those days, and still today, I think women's product didn't get as much airtime. Nike discontinued the air swoops in 2002, during my second year in college. I actually wore the air swoop six during my freshman season at the University of Colorado. And I remember believing that without a doubt, Every future generation of young hoopsters would have a women's signature shoe to choose from. Because that's how these things worked, right? Progress, marching, steadily forward. And then I grew up. And years passed, and every once in a while I'd check in, look around at the basketball world and wonder, how has another generation of young girls grown up with only men's sneakers to wear? Only men's posters to hang on their walls? Only the men's games? front and center to aspire to. I think about that Cheryl Swoops magazine ad from 1994, the one I taped to my bedroom window, 
blocking out the sun, and the emotion I feel is lucky. I happened to come of age during a brief era where the world expanded to include the basketball dreams of young girls like me. Some people that I worked with at Nike we were like, oh my gosh, you designed the swoops. That was so amazing when I was a young kid playing basketball. You know, like it was so inspirational to them. And that to me has been really cool to see that it did make a difference and, and people were excited about it. Yeah, I believe we should do more, more of it. I love when you teach me something, Kate. That was very well done. I consider myself a, like a professor of sorts, a professor of um, women's sports. Yeah, maybe that. Someone's got to do it. So one thing that you said that jogged my memory back to my childhood was that you wore men's basketball shoes and you wore specifically the Tim Hardaway shoes, right? Yep. So that reminded me that when I was I grew up playing soccer, I used to always wear the David Beckham white Predator Adidas cleats. And they were like my favorite cleats. And I love David Beckham because I loved the movie Bend It Like Beckham. He was also married to a Spice Girl. I think that maybe had something to do with it, too. But wait, wait, wait. As a positive, you were you were happy that he was married to a Spice Girl. I just thought it was like cool. I was like, wow, they're famous. Yeah. Oh, then they had these kids with these like weird names. Like it was on every VH1 countdown list, which is how I have like all of my knowledge of pop culture that existed before <laughs> yes. I did. So anyways, I love these cleats. They were the most comfortable cleats. Made me think about had there ever been a women's signature soccer cleat? So I know that Mia Hamm had a Nike cleat. Nike Air Zoom M9 is what they were called after the 99 World Cup. But I couldn't figure out if it was technically a signature cleat or if it was just a Nike cleat that was designed for women that they put her name on. And I don't know if there's a difference, but I've been like going down my own rabbit hole since listening to this Cheryl Swoops thing. And I can't figure that out. Like I went to Mia Hamm's Wikipedia page. I control F the word signature. It's not on there. Mm. So then I was thinking, has anyone ever had a signature cleat? I'm not a sneakerhead like you. I know that if, you know, like you said in your story there, like if there's a your name's on it, you get more money. Maybe there was some fine line distinction there. And then I found Adidas apparently made two new cleats in 2016 that were engineered specifically for female soccer players. And it was marketed or presented as the first women's soccer cleats ever. So I was like, okay, if Mia Hamm's cleats were the first like women's cleats for Nike, how could these also be the first cleats? Maybe Mia Hamm's weren't. Maybe they were men's cleats. I don't know. Like I can't find this information anywhere. And I feel like this information shouldn't be this hard to find (laughs) if this is like the only time in history this has ever happened. Yeah, well, this is what's hard to distinguish because... The Air Swoops, as you're alluding to, was the only sneaker that Nike made where they actually made the sneaker and it was designed to the specifications of Cheryl Swoops. Her name was on it, as you heard in the piece, which also meant a a higher percentage piece of revenue share. 
Whereas going forward after the air swoops, it's not as if no women were associated with Nike sneakers because Shamiqua Holdsclaw was associated with the shocks, that new technology that Nike made in the early 2000s. Everyone, so, everyone who had shocks was like the coolest person ever in my high school. Yeah, it was like the, it was like the uh, predecessor to the super shoe. We all yeah. kind of thought, especially on the basketball side, do we jump a little bit higher? Right, like, can like, I these can resilient? I dunk now? Yeah, like, yes. <laughs> I've never I have never even played basketball, springs? but I was like, I literally <laughs> can dunk now. What is happening? But yes, that is, that is true. So there are other players who become associated with sneakers that Nike has already designed and made. And then there's like the, you know, the Tarazi version of it. And the same with Cynthia Cooper during her earlier years in the WNBA. But those are different than the Air Swoops, which was designed solely for Cheryl Swoops and a signature shoe. The most recent one in women's basketball, not Nike, Adidas made a signature shoe for Candace Parker. So that's the most recent version of it. It sounds to me like the cleats you're talking about that had Mia Ham's name on it were probably the Air Zoom was probably a product that Nike was already making and they wanted to appeal to young girls. And so they put Mia Ham's number nine and her name on it. But that wasn't designed for Mia Ham. And it doesn't sound like Nike's ever made a signature boot, as uh, as, as they call it, right, in the in the soccer world. So that leads me to the next thing that I found, which is very interesting. Um, Megan Rapino, friend of the podcast, I think it's it's safe to say. Mm-hmm. Um, this I'm just going to read you this headline from Yahoo Sports, and then a couple lines, and then the final line. Nike celebrates soccer star Megan Rapino with pink cleats inspired by her hair color. It says the special Nike Mercurial Vapor 13 Elite FG cleat is executed in a vibrant pink and gold colorway that draws inspiration from Rapino's signature hair color and the gold hardware she has won thus far in her illustrious playing career. Her first and last name appear prominently on the lateral sides of the boot with the swoosh's famous Just Do It tagline featured on the medial side. The heel, heel counter and sock, lin, sock line, this like the words around shoes, I just like, I never, <laughs> I don't, I don't know what these things are. I just put them on my feet. It's almost they, like a boat, you know, when somebody's right? like the aft part of the boat. And the, right, the starboard. And the, yeah. The name Rapino is starboard. It says the heel counter and sock liner carry the four stars Rapino and her American team teammates proudly sport on their national team jerseys. The stars represent the team's four FIFA Women's World Cup championship titles. Like, this sounds really cool. And then the final line of this story, according to the brand, this special edition Nike Mercurial Vapor 13 Elite FG will not be sold at retail stores. Boom! And that's it. (laughs) What is, like, what? And that's This is just a press release. This, that is it. That is just, that is exactly what we're trying to get to with all of this story, with the story of the swoops, with the story of n- women's apparel and merchandise in stores is most of the time, these companies just trade on the idea of gender equality, right? Like Nike has done more with commercials of like female athletes, probably just mostly fitness models and being like, women, go get them too. Just do it too. But they don't actually invest in creating these products around actual female athletes, which would elevate the game, which would elevate athletes, which would elevate everything around the game. So that's that's the point, too, of the swoops being like, where could you find the swoops? They weren't easy to find. Not much about women's sports has ever been easy to find. Posters, not easy to find. Gear, T-shirts, all of it. 
media coverage, not easy to find. If you want to follow and be a fan of women's sports, you have to set aside an hour each day to hunt down the things that you want to read about, see, watch, wear. And that actually gets back to our conversation with Brianna Stewart because she grew up in upstate New York in the 2000s and, and same thing, right? What, what do you follow when you're growing up as a kid when following female athletes doing awesome things is damn near impossible? And that actually wraps up our conversation with Brianna Stewart about signature sneakers and women's apparel. But we do want to go back to Stewie because we have promised you storylines on this podcast about Dottie and a league of their own, as well as a little something Jess and I call Yukon privilege. So back to Stewie. Since you were born in 94, this is really, this is hard, but we're going to go here, Stewie. I know where we're going to go. Okay. Okay. So, Stewie, there's this movie that came out that Jessica just recently watched. Thank you. So it seems like you're an expert. I don't need to tell you about this movie. I'm not an expert. I just Googled it because I was like, I don't know what this movie is. And then I was like, it's 1992. So why would I watch it? Exactly. Like, it came out before we were born. Why would we watch it, Kate? It's so true because... I won't watch movies made before I was born either. It's like a standing rule because I'm like, the graphics will be bad. Right. The filters will be bad. The dialogue will be bad. No high definition. (laughs) And like, it's just, you know, it probably won't be very good anymore. It's not going to hold up. So why even bother? I'm just going to stop there. You don't have an opinion. I don't know why Dottie dropped the ball. I don't know. Do you care? (laughs) Maybe I'm going to watch it. I mean, maybe I'll watch it. I feel like you would like it. You should just watch it. Honestly, I, I was surprised how much I liked it. Okay, I'm going to get my, my least favorite question out of the way because we have set ourselves up on this podcast. We dropped our first one last week and Jess and I set ourselves up with like a little Yukon talk where we have some theories about Yukon. And I didn't realize that after I set up this Yukon discussion that I would mostly be interviewing Yukon players and therefore having to ask them about this. So the idea is what we're calling like Yukon privilege in women's basketball, that it has like outsized influence in the women's game, like unlike anything you would see in college football or any other sport. And I was trying to lay out like the connection to ESPN and then Gino being able to like kind of glad hand in the 90s in the way other people couldn't. And it was all launched from this idea that like NECA, if she'd gone to Yukon, might have made the Olympic team this year. So you don't, you don't need to respond to that. <laughs> I see your facial expression, but I posed the question to Renee Montgomery and I'm posing it to you too. Like this idea of like UConn having a monopoly on the women's game and the effects that that has on a player's career throughout the longevity of it. UConn privilege. Like what is your response to this? I think that there is, I mean, there is some privilege to going to UConn as far as, what we do and who we are and and the rap that we have but still you know we have to show up on the court and that's no matter where you went or what school you went to but when you're talking about women's basketball people know UConn also this is only Kate's theory I I have no I don't I have nothing to do with it (laughs) Jess that's so perfect it's so perfect in the face of the uh, WNBA Finals MVP, MVP, multiple championship winner. 
you completely pass over the theory to my hands. I like it. <laughs> I love UConn. I love UConn. Stewie, I don't know. Since we're tossing each other under the bus here, Jessica went to Notre Dame. Okay. <laughs> so you know where she lands on this conversation. So your love for UConn is not mm. actually real. <laughs> yes. Stewie, we're also the same age. So like you specifically contributed to like a lot of like trauma that I had in college around women's basketball. <laughs> Uh, well, Notre Dame has three of my losses in total, so they hold a special place in, in my heart as well. The opposite of heart, I think, is what Stewie means right. here. <laughs> somewhere outside. Hey, honey. I was wondering, if we're not doing anything this Sunday, can we just sit around and watch some golf? What? I must be dreaming. You want to watch golf? Well, of course. Didn't you hear? The PGA is finally taking some steps to make golf interesting because they just announced a brand new collaboration with award-winning designer Bob Mackey for a whole line of spandex for golfers. Spandex for golfers? That's right. Spandex for golfers. Those tight little spandex outfits not only afford golfers the ultimate experience and breathability, but they also look so adorable and sexy. Wait a minute. I'm not sure if golf is a sport that needs to get sexier. And get this. If they refuse to wear the outfits during a major, they'll receive a huge fine, just like Serena Williams did during the 2018 French Open. Well, that seems a little intense, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. It's wicked intense. There's no good reasoning whatsoever to require sexier outfits for female athletes. But that's the thing. They either wear it and it's sexy, or they don't and it's news. Introducing, for the first time ever, acclaimed fashion designer Bob Mackey is creating a collection for the PGA. The Sultan of Sequence is trading in his nine Emmys for a chance at the Ryder Cup. Look at the gams on Phil Mickelson. Those calves are so pronounced. My, my, my. Finally. Some stupid sexist shit my husband and I can both enjoy. Thanks, Spandex for golfers. And thanks, Bob Mackey, whoever you are. Kate, was the guy from your epiphany? But, J- Jess, you can, we can't what? be doxing. <laughs> We gotta have. We gotta make sure that it gets bleeped out. Okay. Why? Well, I mean, sure, but I've been on the Colorado Buffaloes website roster website from the early two thousands <laughs> for like this entire episode, trying to find this person. You did not give me many hints, and I, I feel like my investigative journalism skills are paying off right now. That, you you nailed it. You know what this is reminding me of now is, at the time, as I mentioned, there was no Twitter, so he probably would have tweeted that, and then we could have gone back and had receipts. But this is the kind of thing that got said, but that you would never have a receipt for except the, the, the searing of his words into my memory. Yeah, it, as you put on your Nike basketball shoes that were not air swoops, that were made for men every time you had a game. Every single time. I'm also very happy that we had uh, Shimiko Holdsclaw in this episode telling that awesome story about Pat Summit messing up GQ and QT. That was amazing. (laughs) Because as you will see going forward, we'll be telling some Pat Summit stories on this podcast. I love Pat Summit stories. I want to hear all of them. And 
Thank you to Kirk from Fort Collins. I mean, would a sexist have a daughter? There's just no way. There's no way that a sexist would have a daughter. It's not possible, logically. I can't I can't think of any sexist fathers of daughters. Can you? No, not one. None. But thank you to Nameless Numberhead for putting together our fake ad on Spandex for Golfers. Oh, that was fake. I was actually really Damn. looking forward to getting some. Off the Looking Glass is produced by you, Jessica Smetana. And this episode was edited by Carl Scott. He's also our executive producer. And he does a great job with all of the sound mixing that he does people, all the things. people say that they really like on Twitter. So love love to hear some feedback on that. They love it. That, that actually is probably the number one kudos for the show is the soundtrack. I mean, aside from our dynamic chemistry, the, the soundtrack is also gets a lot of kudos. And Who else do we have to thank? We have to thank Neil Flynn, who voices Kirk from Fort Collins, who you will continue to hear from because he is every man. And he is written by Adam McKay. If we haven't mentioned, Neil Flynn is voicing Kirk from Fort Collins, written by Adam McKay. We've now said that like six times in this episode, and I think we'll probably still get a bunch of tweets this week asking if it's a real person. But that's okay, because the fact that it sounds so realistic is kind of the point. It's really what we were hoping for with this podcast, hence the name Off the Looking Glass, if you think about it, Kate. So true. We wanted to walk the line between multiverse and reality, and I think we were doing that nimbly. If you like this podcast, leave a review. If you don't like it, leave a review anyways. It's not going to kill you. Give us five stars. Leave a comment. uh, Retweet it and tell your friends, and we'll be back next week with another episode. 